And that was The Smiths with a track called Unhappy Birthday from their 1987 album Strange Ways. Here we come. I'm David Eastall, and this is The C86 Show. Hello once again to another epic show. As I, as always, I've been slipping a slide in, hopping and a flopping to bring you the very best in 80s indie pop from that golden decade. I have no idea what I'm talking about. Anyway, this week I caught up with John Campbell from the Liverpool bass band It's Immaterial. So I'll be bringing that interview throughout the show, plus various tracks by the band and the usual quality playlist that you've come to expect from this very exciting, award-worthy show. So... All I want you to do is sit back, relax and enjoy the next 60 minutes. But don't forget to turn up your stereos. Here is Ed's Funky Diner.
answer me that. There you go, a bit of Blondie and um, the track called 1159 from their classic album, Parallel Lines. And uh, you might wonder why I've included that, because it's not really indie pop. But I just, well, for many reasons, I thought Blondie was amazing. Plus, I just saw a documentary about the making of that album, which was produced by the one and only Mike Chapman, who went um, who was a bit of a hit machine during the 70s and did lots of stuff with people like Sweet Susie Quattro. Mud and lots of other, um, yeah, pretty joyful bands as well. But anyway, he had lots of number ones, so um, yeehaw, Mike Chapman and Blondie, obviously. And before that, we had the unmistakable sound all the way from Liverpool of It's Immaterial with a track called Ed's Funky Diner from their classic album Life is Hard and Then You Die. 
So true. Anyway, this is David Eastall. This is the C86 show. And like I said, uh, this is uh, this week it is special guest John uh, Campbell from the band It's Immaterial. So I'll be bringing you that interview and there's more tracks by the band. But as always, we've got a packed playlist and uh, only 60 minutes, well, probably less than. So this is Boat to Bolivia. This is Martin Stevenson and the Dainties.
Rock and roll, there you go. That's R.E.M. and the track called The One I Love. And that was from their album, Document, which came out in 19... I think it was 1986. And before that, we had all the way from the uh, northeast, Martin Stevenson and the Dainties. And that was a track called Boat to Bolivia, which came out... Um, I'm obsessed with years now, aren't I? In 1986. I'm thinking, God, the 80s were a bit rubbish. But when I look back at the music, it was like, wow, every month there seemed to be a classic album. And that was the self-titled album. And their first. And um, hopefully in the next couple of weeks, I'll be bringing you an interview that I did with Martin Stevenson and the Dainties, which seemed like months ago now. But um, it's a bit of a backlog. Anyway, this is David Eastall. This is the C86 show. And this week's special guest is John Campbell from the Liverpool-based band It's In Material. So I'm going to be bringing you that interview very soon because it's very interesting. Um, Yes. Oh, yeah. If you'd like to contact me, we do love your messages. You can via Twitter or Facebook. Go to at C86 show and I'll be there. And I'm always happy to receive anything, really. 
not anything, obviously, just love and friendship, that, that sort of thing. Anyway, look, we've got lots more music and a little, little, not so much time. So I thought we'd play one of those songs that we could all relate to, especially in the 80s. This is Elvis Costello and Radio Radio. So just get in, and we'll go for a ride. 
There you have it, that's the material and the track called Driving Away From Home from their album Life Is Hard and Then You Die. And before that we had the unmistakable sound of Elvis Costello Radio Radio from the album This Year's Model, produced by the one and only Nick Lowe. Anyway, this is David Eastall, The C86 Show, and this is the first part of my interview with John Campbell from the band It's Immaterial, where I ask him about how, but basically his entry into music, and this is it. For me, my entry into music was directly from uh, art school. I came to Liverpool Art School really intending to um, to study fine art, which I started off in that field, but after a couple of years there and meeting people on the course, uh, there was a, a band uh, at the school at the time called Deaf School, and uh, they went on to sign to Warner Brothers and had a number of albums released, but... Um, once they left the art school, there was no art school band to replace them, so we just formed a group to replace Death School as the art school band. And in that notion of the art school band goes on forever, you know. So we, but um, from there, really, from uh, from studying at art school, I, I drifted slowly into music. First into a band called Yachts, which became kind of a, I think, 
they were termed as a power pop band. They were about, uh, this was in 1977, and they signed to Stiff Records. And that was up and running kind of in parallel with my course at the art school. So I was studying at the art school and also going round uh, the country in the back of a transit van playing with the yachts. So um, that's how I started in music. I never kind of set out in to be a professional musician as such forth. I just kind of ended up there along yeah. the way. And did you find you created or got your sound sorted quite early on? Uh, not really. I think I went through uh, the yachts period, or yachts as we, we never used to like to call them the yachts, because <laughs> everybody was the something, we just called ourselves yachts. Um, but uh, n- during that, really, we would we were listening uh, with my friends at the art school, we were listening to things like uh, American garage music and 60s uh, American pop music and such. So we, we kind of formulated what... I remember, I can't remember the chap's name, but when we were signed to Stiff Records, somebody at Stiff Records termed us the first power pop band in, in Britain. But uh, that's the sound we generated, that's the sources we generated the sound of that group from. But uh, I I wasn't with Yachts too long. I, I decided it wasn't for me, and I uh, I left and um, and started to look around to build a group around the name It's Material with... Uh, with um, uh, another musician by the name of Jarvis Whitehead, and it's still Jarvis and I, right. who really work together in tandem, and other, other musicians come and go, really. Uh, so um, there's never really been a fixed lineup for its material. So the music and the ideas for its material are generated by Jarvis and I. Excellent stuff. There you go. That uh, is John Campbell from It's Immaterial with the first part of the interview. And I, like I said, I've got um, several more parts before the end of the show. But to keep the party rolling, um, I thought we should... Uh, yes, there's a new compilation that's come out called the C... I think it's 88. I should be t- paying more attention, shouldn't I? Anyway, yes, it is the C88 um, collection. And there's lots of sort of stuff that they've managed to round up and uh, compile. And this is a flexi disc that came out many decades ago. This is the Pop Guns and a track called... Where do you go?
Yes, that is a bit of pop perfection. That's the Pop Guns, Where Do You Go? And that was a flexi disc. That came out um, just a couple of months ago on the C88 collection, which is a triple CD box set. And it's very sweet. A little um, press release with it says, Another celebration of the 80s indie scene, documenting a golden era when tuneful guitar-based bands made records on shoestring budgets, often issued on small labels with handmade artwork with little hope of mainstream exposure. There you go. But um, yes, if you're looking for that perfect Christmas present, and let's face it, it's just around the corner, um, yes, the C88 collection is just the ideal thing. Anyway, this is David Eastall, The C86 Show. This is the second part of my interview with John Campbell from It's Immaterial about the process of making music. And uh, when I asked him if he realised they'd created something special. Um, I don't know. At the time, what happens with Janice and I when we write is we, we get some kind of notion in our head and we were kind of investigating the, the idea of, 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 of a British driving song. Then, I mean, of course, I always associate driving songs with American, um, I suppose, country music culture and so forth. But um, I thought there was never really any driving songs where people move around Britain so yeah. we, we we wrote a few songs along the driving theme and uh, that one was the one that made it uh, through to that first album and um, we kind of wanted it to be a hybrid so we set off to um, Massachusetts in America and started to record the single with uh, Jerry Harrison from Talking Heads producing it and um well, when we got there, we flew into Chicago, and then when we went up to uh, Milwaukee, I think, and uh, um, met uh, with Jerry Harrison, and he'd already hired uh, a bunch of uh, Nashville session musicians to do the backing tracks for us. And that's really what we wanted to get away from. We wanted it to be based around really... Uh, um, synthesizers and we we because we were just a duo and didn't really have a permanent drummer we used to work a lot of the time generating rhythms with the the, the Roland TR-808s and such forth drum machines so we wanted it to have that kind of feel as opposed to a genuine country and western feel and we wanted it to be a, a, a vocal journey around Britain right. so when we got there we uh, we had a situation where during the day we were recording this seemed uh, kind of statutory country and western track with version with um, Jerry Harrison and at night time with the engineer we put on another multi-track and John and I and the engineer recorded the version which eventually became the single so we were working day and night on two different versions <laughs> of the song you know and did you keep the version that Jerry sort of put together we did we didn't uh, uh, actually, no, he, he didn't reach a final mix stage because um, I think it became apparent that the version that we were recording suited us better. Right. And um, Jerry actually sent us um, a, uh, a telegram back in those days, uh, which wasn't too polite about our version. I think that's the, the last work we did with him, really. So we never got to mix his version with him, you know. Oh, it's a murky world that uh, in in rock and roll. Anyway, that is the second part where, um, obviously, <laughs> to sort of uh, sneak out in the evening to re record the song you wanted is uh, more important than just going along with a top producer. Well, I suppose he wasn't a top producer, but he was in Talking Heads, which must have been, I suppose, at the time, must have been thinking, yes, this is going to give us fame, fortune, and lots of money. But anyway, there you go. That's the second part. I've still got one more part. But um, as the time is ticking away, this is... I'm not sure what I'm playing. Anyway, I'll put it on. 
All the way from Australia. There you go. That's the go-betweens and uh, the track called Bachelor Kisses from the album Spring Hill Fair. And um, yes, there was a bit of confusion before I play, pushed play. I wasn't quite sure which track it was actually that I'd lined up. Anyway, that's just details. This is David Eastall, the C86 Show. And this is the uh, third part of my interview with John Campbell from It's Immaterial, where we talk about the labels... Um, uh, the bands uh, sort of sign into the Virgin record label and uh, all that exciting world about, um, yes, admin and stuff. We originally signed to Warner Brothers Records but left pretty sharpish. We didn't seem to fit in there. But were immediately picked up by um, a Virgin satellite label by the name of Siren and um, and recorded uh, two albums for them. There is a lot of material in some vaults at uh, WBA, but... Uh, I don't think that'll ever see the light of day now. Oh, right. Because obviously, you you know, you said that it was you and Jarvis who sort of were basically the band. So you, you were quite prolific during the 80s. We were during the 80s, yeah. Up until 93 or something like that. We, uh, that was kind of a full-time occupation for us. But and, and during 93, things both happened in both our private lives, I think, which made us kind of going different directions. As it happens, though, Jarvis and I have always recorded together. We've done stuff for uh, uh, radio shows and film bits of film music and such forth. So our kind of uh, relationship has gone on throughout the decades, and we still 
to this day meet up every Friday, Friday of every week is put aside for us to do musical projects on. So it comes around a lot slower now because it's just one day a week, but we still uh, work and create music together. Yeah, because I noticed that with with a lot of bands, there has been this kind of people sort of coming back and sort of, you know, casual, not casual, well, quite casually, but also quite tentatively sort of wondering if they could play music or, you know, get some sort of musical project with various members of the original band together. So obviously that's that's something that's kind of been with you for quite a long time now. Well, in a way you could say we've never been away from it because, as I said, the nucleus of of the group at Smithfield is always Jarvis and I, and we've always worked together throughout the years on many different projects. So it's kind of this material drifted out of, of kind of the pop mainstream or whatever, but in different ways we've been working on creative projects over the years. But the album that uh, we're working on now really would have been the third album after uh, the album Song was released. It's uh, it's like a bit of musical archaeology, really. We're going back and uh, rediscovering some demos that we made in, uh, I think, in 1993 for the third album with a, a very great friend and producer of ours, uh, Callum Malcolm, uh, who did the second album, produced the second album song for us and um, and invited us up to his studio after song was complete and uh, to, to investigate some new ideas for a, th- a third album. Um, so those have been locked away for years. On, I think it's... A, 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 uh, at the time, Callum was demoing a machine... <clears throat> excuse me. I think it was called the uh, DA-88, I think. Right. Which was an 8-track digital recording machine that you could link together and end up with a 32-track machine. So while he was demoing this for a week, he invited us up to put some demos together, really. So it worked for both of us, but um, but they've been locked away for years since up in Castle Sound. Right. I think we made them in 93, and as I said, uh, Javs and I kind of drifted out of the music scene as such, but we were still working creatively together. But um, in, I think it was 19... 19- Ninety-eight, we received a package from Castle Sound, and it was these the masters of all these from these machines of these demos we'd done, right. and we have our own little studio up in here. So that package, when we saw what it was, we just put it on a shelf and thought maybe we'll do something with that at one time, and then of course just forgot about it again yes. for another decade or so until it was rediscovered when we moved studios. We were clearing stuff out, and we found the package. So we thought we'd investigate it, and uh, I took the material down into Elevator Studios here in Liverpool, who still had a number of these DA88 machines uh, in stock there. And as you can imagine, when Callum reviewed them, these were state-of-the-art new things. Well, of course, by the time I wanted to look at these uh, cassettes again, Nobody had used the DA88 for years. They were completely old hat and had gone by the boards. Yeah. I was fortunate to find Elevator had a couple in a cupboard somewhere, so we linked those up and transferred all this material to Pro Tools sessions, and we've been working on that since. As I say, just on Fridays, that's the day we always give to music. Well, 
nice idea. I do like that idea. Giving giving one day a week to uh, music. I think that's that's what we should all be doing in life. Anyway, that was my third part, and I've just got one very small bit of that interview with John Campbell from It's Interior, which I was just going to play probably or definitely after we heard or have um, heard Space from their album Life Is Hard and Then You Die. Created in a space, and the space is vacant. 
Yes, indeed, he says, ruffling, ruffling little bits of paper. That is uh, its immaterial in the track called Space from the album Life is Hard and Then You Die. And this is the fourth and final part of my interview with John Campbell from the band, where I ask him what he would say to his 18-year-old self. Just to, um, just to look at the bigger picture and just to, uh, and just to keep going and don't stop and don't change for people. Just do your thing. And eventually, it's like a life's work. I think you build up a a body of material and it becomes much more visible to people and they can suddenly see what you're trying to do. So don't worry about, you know, being kind of having a a smash hit record. (laughs) Just keep doing what you're doing because I think that's more valuable to you personally and to an audience in the long run. Wise words. Remember those. Anyway, that was John Campbell. And a big thank you for giving me the time for that interview. And uh, like I said, much appreciated. And um, thankfully, they're still sort of hopefully going to be making music. And I think there was a date they had on their Facebook page. So if you um, are into all that malarkey, go to Facebook and It's Immaterial and you'll find out some more information about what they're doing in the future. But anyway, we've still got a bit more time. And uh, so let's just put a few more records together. This is The Saints and the track called Big Hits on the Underground.
Yes, very dramatic stuff. <laughs> Sorry for shouting there. That's The Saints, and that's a track called Big Hits on the Underground from the album All Fool's Day. Anyway, this is David Eastall, The C86 Show, and it's coming to a close, which is terribly sad. And uh, if you want to contact me, it's always nice. You can via Twitter, Facebook. Just go to at C86 Show and... Um, It will be, you know, any messages, as long as you keep your sort of fingers clean, will be um, happily received. So there you go. But a big thank you once again to John Campbell from the band It's Immaterial for giving me the time for that interview. Much appreciated. And like I said, if you want to find out any more information, go to Facebook and uh, have a look around there. It's always exciting in that wonderful world. That is social media. But anyway, look, I'm going to leave you with another one of those little classics that we used to dance the mess around with for hours on end. This is War and the track called Remember. Yes, I'm so predictable. (laughs) 